you're absolutely right about the it being just a few of us. Um, and so <laughs> uh, <laughs> to ask you, I guess, the genesis of it all, what brought you into education? It's funny you say that because my original degree was in political science. I thought I was going to be the next big lawyer out there and and that didn't work. I had to kind of regroup and and, and re, retool my tool bag. Um, so back in college, you know, I was a pretty active member of my fraternity. Um, and at the time, I had a couple of brothers who were teachers in the city where, our, uh, where we were. And obviously, as the fraternity goes, you know, we do community service and education is one of our big proponents. We would go over to the school and uh, volunteer our time to help the students. It was an elementary school and tutor the kids and work with them. And I think it was at that point that I started really getting a satisfaction out of helping uh, those kids. Uh, and then once I started reflecting on all of that, I started thinking, well, throughout my life, I've always been this person who wanted to help, you know, to see someone succeed. You know, it wasn't all about me. Uh, it was about helping others and, and helping those who helped me and helping others, like I said, to get to where they want to be, whether they've helped me or not. Um, so it was an interesting decision because at the time teachers were making like $18,000 a year. And I'm like, okay, that's not going to be enough to really support me. Obviously that sounds like very little in today's money, but even back then it wasn't the best salary. Uh, but the other side of that was that I only saw the teachers. You know, I didn't see speech pathologists. I didn't see counselors. I didn't see uh, assistant principals. I didn't see principals. I didn't see district personnel. Um, and once I started doing a little more research and saw all the different areas behind there, I'm like, this may be something I'd like to do. Plus, it'll give me an opportunity to do what I love, which is help people every day. So from that point on, it's, it's been, been nonstop ever since. So if I'm hearing correctly, it was someone else, uh, as you said, a fraternity brother who was in education and that sort of yeah. played. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And you have held, like, what have been the different roles that you have uh, held in education throughout the years? And where, where are you right now at the moment? I came in as a, a classroom teacher. I taught seventh grade language arts and social studies. Uh, from there, I moved to guidance and counseling. Uh, that was in the middle school as well. From guidance and counseling, I got into the administration aspect of education and became a, uh, an assistant principal or vice principal, depending on what region you live in. Um, and I thought that's as far as I wanted to go because it wasn't so bad being number two to be able to say, well, this is my decision, but you can talk to the principal. Uh, so for a few years, that's kind of where I was, but the more I did the job, the more I could see myself having a larger impact on, uh, the students and in education in general as a principal. So that's when I started to pursue, pursue, uh, avenues to, to reach that point. And eventually, uh, became a principal, uh, at a middle school. All of this had been in the middle school and this is all in Georgia. Uh, eventually, uh, Things changed for me personally, uh, which prompted a move for me professionally. Uh, so I moved from Georgia to Hawaii. And once I moved to Hawaii, I started working at the state level there. And uh, there, I worked with a program that 
within Hawaii certifies administrators. If you want to be a vice principal or a principal in Hawaii, you have to go through this program. There's no other way you're going to become a, a VP or a principal otherwise. So I was in that program uh, teaching sessions for the uh, mentees and cohort members who were seeking uh, certification along those levels. Did that for a couple of whiles. At that level, we're known as educational officers at the state here in Hawaii. Um, did that for about a year and a half and then left to work privately with a company called McCrell. They're out of Denver. Um, in that capacity, we worked a federal contract uh, of what they call a REL, which is a regional educational lab. Federal government has 10 rails across the U.S. It may be rail Southwest. It may be rail Mid-Atlantic. It may be rail Appalachia. This one was specifically rail Pacific that I worked with. And in that position, I was able to work in Micronesia, Guam, Palau, American Samoa, um, uh, Mariana Islands over in Saipan. Those are all territories of the U.S., so they benefit from U.S. dollars through that federal contract. Uh, doing professional development and education, working with the teachers, working with the administrators to, you know, assist them, you mm -hmm. know, in, in, in bringing their um, educational systems up to where they would like to see them. And it was, I did that for two years, and it was probably the, the most treasured experience I've had professionally uh, to work with, with people of color in the Pacific uh, and in Hawaii as well. Hawaii was one of the, the uh, entities as well that we served, even though we were in Hawaii. Uh, but to become culturally sensitive to uh, the people of the Pacific Islands, you know, and, and what they were dealing with and struggling with and how we were able to try to help them. Uh, again, that's my nature, helping people. Uh, so after that, I uh, decided to come back to the DOE because at the end of the day, it was a federal contract. And if there were any shifts at the presidential level in D.C., anything below that from a federal level could be cut. You just never know. So you're always kind of looking over your shoulder, hoping that things are going to continue. Right. So right. To, get, to get that stability, I came back to the, U, uh, to the U.S. I came back to the DOE. Okay. Uh, but this time I came back at the school level uh, as a VP to learn the, the culture within the schools here and uh, eventually looking to work my way back to a principalship. So uh, that happened as of this past December. I was called up for right now temporary assignment. Uh, we'll see where it goes at the end of the school year here, but currently serving as an elementary school principal now uh, of a small school here in Hawaii. So a lot of differences in, in culture, but at the end of the day, we're educating kids. Gotcha. If we could rewind just for a moment and going back to your time in Georgia, was there anything from the principal, or, or it doesn't have to necessarily be the principal, but just thinking about that time, were there things that you saw that were done or you, um, how do I say this? Like, in terms of you've been a mentor to me, like, who are the mentors for you? And I guess, um, yeah, thinking about, thinking about that, who are like sort of the mentors to you that sort of laid the groundwork for what eventually happened or, or what eventually came to be over in Hawaii. So if we could jump back for a moment, um, back to Georgia, um, how did that lead? How did that, I guess, that professional path go from Georgia to Hawaii in that position that you had, that first position that you had in Hawaii? 
Well, for me, it, it, it was probably a result, partially a result of, of, of life changes. Um, at the time I was married, um, unfortunately the marriage didn't work out. I ended up filing for a divorce at the time. Um, but as I say that, there were thoughts in the back of my mind. I love to travel. Mm -hmm. I love learning about new cultures, uh, different ways things are done, different perspectives uh, in terms of the way people look at things. And I've always kind of wanted to do teaching off of the mainland. Uh, it could be a DLD school. It could be a Chinese American, Japanese American. Uh, again, just having the opportunity to travel and learn new cultures, plus do what I love in terms of education. Right. Um, but my ex-wife never wanted to move. We were living in Atlanta at the time, never wanted to move, you know, any further than where we were. Um, and I'm not certainly not saying that's the reason for the divorce. I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I only mentioned that to say that once uh, the divorce was final, I saw that as my opportunity to, you know, do some of the things that I'd always considered, but kind of put on the back burner for the marriage. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, I got really aggressive with my um, uh, job search, because uh, I pretty much made up in my mind that I wanted to kind of do a principalship for five to seven years and maybe move to a district or state level position. And I was at the fifth year, was in the fifth year of my principalship in Georgia um, at the time the divorce came. So the divorce literally started and ended within that year. In fact, mm -hmm. it was final in uh, January of that school year. And by July, I was I was on a plane to Hawaii. Okay. Um, I did get a couple of hits in in I think it was a Japanese American school, but Hawaii was serious. They interviewed me, and it's kind of like one of those things where you know it's kind of cool to be interviewing in those places and uh, sounding exotic and the possibility of teaching over there. And then once they finally said, "Okay, yes, we'll hire you," and then you're like, "Uh oh, now what?" <laughs> you know you never kind of you never think to go beyond the application process because right. i mean a lot of times you don't think you'll ever have the opportunity um but i did have to crunch some numbers i uh, wasn't gonna, gonna uh, pass up the opportunity and uh yep like i said in july will be eight years that i've been here in hawaii awesome awesome something that i have heard from the community as they reach out to me in this podcast has been like if they are no, if folks are no longer a teacher, there are some who used to believe like that was it. Like they have failed. They love teaching. They love the kiddos. They love having an impact on the kiddos' lives. But if they weren't in the classroom, they felt like somehow they were a failure. And for what I'm hearing from you is like, it doesn't have to be only the classroom. There are so many other opportunities and ways that a person can affect kiddos in the classroom for good uh, and have a positive effect on them. Would that be true? Very much so. Uh, and I'm glad you point that out because uh, if you remember earlier, when I started looking at education, all I saw was the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I had to ask myself, you know, do I want to be a teacher the rest of my life? You know, not knowing all the other positions behind teaching or that can go, you know, beyond teaching if that's the desire of the individual. And once I found that out and saw the different positions, uh, again, me, my nature is to help people. Um, and I saw different ways, particularly with kids of color, young black men, uh, what we were dealing with, what we were going through. I saw it as an opportunity to not only reach all kids, but specifically black kids. I don't want to, uh, you know, sound as if I'm discriminating. If 
other kids of color or, or other demographics are in the picture that I'm not working as hard for them as well as them others. But for me as a black man, obviously that's gonna be a focal point for me, but I'm right. gonna help everybody regardless gotcha. of demographics. 100%. But that being, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that being said, you know, I saw teaching as an initial way to be able to start reaching those kids. And there is sort of a, uh, uh, how do you put it, sort of opposing views in terms of the rise from a teacher to maybe counseling or to administration, because the higher you go, the less contact you have physically with the kids. But at the same time, the higher you go, the more impact you can have on what those kids are seeing and receiving in the classroom or otherwise. I'm so happy uh, that you said that. I'm yes. so happy that you said that because in these conversations that I've been having with educators, that is something that folks need to understand that we, as a classroom teacher, as a school teacher, I see the kiddos on the day to day, right? but having or knowing folks who are in those rooms that are directly affect the kiddos is something to keep in mind as well too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you can, you, you can, uh, uh, mitigate that, you know, as a principal, you know, I, I make it a point to go and visit classrooms and uh, be in the cafeteria to see all the kids or be at the recess field when they're out playing and, uh, you know, just giving high fives around campus when I see the kids or uh, listen to their stories, what they're doing for the weekend and the birthday party that they're getting to have, you know, kind of at the, at the elementary level now. But even when I was at the high school, it was the same thing because you could talk to them more on an adult level uh, and, and the conversations are, are obviously a little more abstract, uh, but it's the same thing, you know, yep. you get to know the kids, you know, it's not about being punitive all the time. It's not about I'm your boss and you need to do what I say and you do it because I told you to do it. You know, let's sit down, let's have a conversation. Tell me what's going on. Why, yeah. why did you do that? And you'll be surprised at some of the things you find out and you start to understand everybody has a story. Yeah. You know, and I mean that sincerely, not so much as someone trying to get over on you and telling you a story. But, you know, when you find out what these kids are going through, it becomes quite clear as to why some of these things are happening. But you got to take the time to, to find out and, and understand people and build those relationships. 100%. 100%. Yes. And yes. I think the longer you are a teacher the more you will come to know that that that's sort of the heart of it get to know the kids get to know their story um get to know their why um and you will then be able to better serve them um yeah 100 percent it's like i don't know if you i don't know if you've ever uh and you probably have in your in your travels simon sinek's the golden circle Mm mm-hmm Start with why, you know, yeah. nobody cares what you do until they understand why you're doing it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like I already know the answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Like what's kept you in this work? Because this is not an easy work. <laughs> what's yeah. kept you uh, in it to, to, to keep at it, to keep doing the thing that you love to do? Goes back to my, uh, goes back to who I am as a person, you know? I mean, again, I, I, I love to help people. You know, I want to leave things better than the way I found it. Uh, or if I see an opportunity to better a situation, you know, through actions uh, that I can contribute, then I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, I always say that 
you know, people, I didn't get to where I am by myself. You know, there were so many people, uh, mentors, uh, people who spoke affirmations into me, dropped knowledge on me, giving me different perspectives and different ways of looking at things that shaped my thinking uh, as a professional, uh, as an educator, as an administrator. And I'd be totally remiss if I didn't reach back and help someone else do the same thing. Yeah. You know, you always hear that cliche, you know, I want to be just like you when I grow up. And I tell people, no, don't be like me, be better than me. You know, yeah. I'm going to help you be better, a better person than I am so that you can contribute even more than, than what I may have been able to contribute. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of, that's, that's been my flame, you know, um, it always baffles me uh, when I hear people kind of kind of trash teaching or look at teaching as, you know, the bottom of the totem pole, you know, those who can, can, those who can't teach, you know, mm-hmm. as if that's some type of, of, of uh, punishment almost. Uh, but then I think about the fact that, you know, the fact that this person is able to even form the sentences that they're making is because of the direct result of a teacher, you know? Talk about I mean, it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yet we we don't get the, the, the recognition and that we deserve, you know, not that we're asking to be put on pedestals, but, you know, all the lawyers and doctors that get paid the good money, again, they didn't, they weren't born being lawyers or doctors, you know, but yet teaching is always considered low level, entry level type positions. Right. In my travels in the Pacific here, I've had the opportunity to visit uh, outside the other areas I mentioned. I've been to the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, China, all of those places hold education in high regard. Uh, if you mention to them that you're an educator, they almost look at you as if you have an, a glow or an aura about you uh, because they know how important the, the, uh, the craft is. Uh, and it's only been in, 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 in my travels in America or my experiences home that it seems to be the opposite. So maybe one day, you know, people will kind of see it a little differently and uh, give teachers the um, what they deserve, you know, for the job they do and, and basically supporting and, and maintaining and, and um, perpetuating life as we see it through education, stories, things of that nature. Got it. In thinking about um, your your transitions to different roles, like, how did you come to know about those roles? Like what, who or what resources sort of um, allowed you to be like, oh, that is something that I can consider doing if I'm not in the classroom. It's not just teacher, dean, AP, VP, and the principal, and that's sort of it. Um, how did you come to learn about other different roles that uh, you could grow into? I think for me, it's just the desire to want to do more. Uh, you know, in the classroom, I, 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 you know, love my time in the classroom and working with the kids and kind of seeing that light bulb go off when they learn something new. Uh, but I start thinking, you know, how can I have a, a, a larger impact on other students other than the ones that I see in my classroom? Uh, and I think starting with that question and at, at any level, prompted me to start looking at ways that I could possibly do that, you know, uh, counseling, you know, I went into counseling to try to get a more direct impact or have a more direct impact on those students uh, in ways that I couldn't have as a teacher with, you know, 20 kids, 25 kids in the classroom. 
So now I'm helping kids individually uh, and specifically on top of that. Uh, after that, you know, I'm thinking, well, what other kind of ways can I have? You know, you start to see things in terms of policy, you know, uh, that may need to be changed or not that I would individually be the person to change it, but at least I can have some type of voice in that process, you know. So I started looking at, you know, administration, you know, what's happening at the school. You know, maybe this rule is not the best rule, but as a counselor, I'm not in a position to affect change in that area. As an administrator, I am, or at least I have more of an impact. Uh, so I started looking and researching different things and on those levels. And it just kind of went from there, you know, in terms of my travels in the Pacific and working with uh, educational agencies over there. You know, again, my love of just learning about different cultures, being able to help those who, who, who seek the help but aren't able to get it, mm -hmm. having an opportunity to give them that help, you know, that, that means a lot to me, you know, particularly people of color. So it really kind of depended on what that question was uh, as it relates to what can I do, what more can I do uh, to impact the, the profession. And, and once I ask that question, then I start searching for answers to, uh, to make that happen. Awesome. Awesome. If I were to ask you, what is bringing you joy at the moment? Hmm. Cooking. <laughs> nice. Nice. What, what is your, what's your, your go-to? Like, you know, look, this is something I could put my foot in. Anybody who eats this is going to leave happy. What's that go-to meal for you? It's probably going to be grilling. Okay. Um, and, and I say cooking, I mean, it's, it's obviously, it can, it's not in the educational realm, but I've kind of made it work in that way. But, uh, you know, the biggest influencers on me were my parents, obviously, mm -hmm. my mom, my dad, you know, I learned a lot from them, uh, particularly from, from the cooking aspect. And for me now, cooking is a way to honor them, you mm -hmm. know, uh, the recipes that I grew up eating and learning how to cook from them. I can now share with with the world, you know, uh, whether it's just friends here in my circle or uh, outside of that, you know, and for me being in the kitchen, it's almost like uh, cutting grass. You know, when I was back in Georgia, I would cut the lawn at the home where my ex and I used to live. And it was an arduous task. I mean, you know, you, you sweat and you, I mean, you push the lawnmower, I didn't even get a riding lawnmower. Uh, but once it's all said and done and you step back and look at that well-manicured line, you just get so much satisfaction out of that. Yeah. And it's the same way with cooking for me. When I cook something and someone enjoys it or tells me that they, they really like the flavor, then that's just so satisfying for me. And the fact that I'm cooking is like a Zen moment for me. Uh, it's not mindless, but when I'm focusing on that, nothing else really matters at the time. So it kind of takes me away from things that would normally probably be stressing me out. Got it, got it. <laughs> We've talked about a couple of things and something that I've appreciated and it seems like the community appreciates as well is we love to read, we love books. Is there a book that you've read and that you would recommend or, and or, is there a book that you're reading that you're like, this is a really good one, I'd like to recommend this as well? One book that's recent, and I'm actually considering doing it as a book study for my school and staff is uh, what could, I think it's what could schools be? Uh, the author is Ted Dentersmith. 
Uh, and he goes around to many different schools all over the US, Hawaii included, and talk to teachers who are making things happen. Um, so often I've you know, come across teachers where uh, when we're talking about doing some things outside the box, the response may be, well, our, our kids can't do that. And for me, that, that just lights my fire. You know, why do you feel they can't do that? What makes you say that? And then working through the process of, of allowing them to see that the students can do it and moving forward from there. Uh, but this book talks about similar stories, not so much as the teachers who would say something like that, but how teachers are out there making things happen. And for some teachers, they may actually be working hard at doing that, but may not be realizing success. I think this book would give them uh, inspiration to keep going and to, to know that it can be done. Uh, but they have a whole what schools could be community out there uh, online. Uh, but the book is, is, is definitely a good read. Cool. Awesome. Um, we were lovers of music. I'm sure that we still are. If you could, and I, I've had to um, adjust and modify and scaffold this question because the more and more guests that I have on, the more and more I'm realizing, okay, Willie, this is how you think, but <laughs> your guests may think a little different. So I used to ask, hey, what are five songs on a playlist? But I've now had to adjust it to like five songs or five artists or five albums but it could at least five. What would be those five songs where at the moment, as eclectic as it could be, um, or not, what would be the five songs or five artists or five albums that you would throw on a, a playlist right now? Oh man, that's, that's a hard one. Uh, extremely hard for me because, you know, I have a music background as well. Uh, so I've, I've listened to so many different genres, uh, artists, I mean, the whole nine. Yeah, that's that's a hard one. <laughs> there's so a, many. Who's a who's a go-to artist for you? Like without fail, you know that this person is is gonna is gonna light it up for battery. Hmm. It's. <laughs> I don't think you understand, Mr. Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> The reason the reason I say that is, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a 70s and 80s funk man. That's you fine. Know? That's fine. I, I, I love that. But at the same time, you know, I love my jazz. I love my contemporary jazz, my traditional jazz. Uh, you know, I love uh, uh, Latin music. I, okay. I love percussion and Latin music. Uh, reggae. I love reggae. You know, reggae makes me feel feel free because the music is just so uh, so pure, you know. Uh, Bob Marley would definitely be one, you know, okay. that's almost like a staple, but I mean, if you know his story and if you listen to his music, it's, it's far beyond just the, the name recognition mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, as to why I like him, uh, but he would definitely be, definitely be one. Um, man, I have such so an extensive playlist and it's so eclectic. So uh, let me ask yeah, this, if, um, if I am unfamiliar with Latin and the percussion that, that you mentioned, who would be a few people who you'd say, okay, well, this is someone that I think as an introduction, you should listen to. I would say Tito Puente. Uh, 
I listen to a lot of his music. Um, very pure. Uh, like I said, you know, from a Latin perspective, you know, they're they're known for their uh, percussion, uh, the different uh, beats like the rumba, salsa, uh, things of that nature. Uh, but from a Latin perspective, I would definitely say Tito Puente. Is there an album of his that you're like, all right, this is one that I would recommend to listen to first? Not specifically, not specifically. In today's world, you know, you can pick and choose the songs you want to hear. Uh, you know, back in the day, yeah, I could probably give you some albums of old funk, you know, um, Earth, Wind and Fire and Ohio Players and things, you know, things of that nature. But from an album perspective, I could do that. But yeah, right now with uh, being able to just pick and choose specific songs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Contemporary songs, I wouldn't have any albums. And when it comes to jazz who's uh, an artist? Ooh, I mean, that's, I mean, Charlie Parker, uh, Miles Davis. Um, I mean, even your Frank Sinatra's, uh, those guys are, are kind of the legends again, mostly name recognition, but it's, it's a lot deeper than that. Um, but yeah, those are some of, the, some of the greats, so to speak. Victor Wooten. You know, uh, my instrument is, is bass guitar, my main instrument. Uh, he's a phenomenal bassist. Uh, I grew up name? on what was his Victor, name? Victor Wooten. Wooten. All right. mm -hmm. I grew up listening to Stanley Clark. You know, he was the first bass player that I'd ever seen play the way that he does. Uh, of course, since then, a lot of people have come along. Um, but yeah, those are some of the uh, some of the bass greats that I've listened to. Okay. Thinking about the the 80s, who's an artist of the 80s that you're like, all right, this is someone who I, I can uh, still jam out to. Well, anything Earth, Wind and Fire, because they're a fusion of kind of a jazz and pop. Uh, that's one thing that you, you, a lot of people don't tend to, to pick up on, you know, if you're not in the music field. Uh, but you have some people who have that jazz pop background, Earth, Wind & Fire is one. Uh, but a lot of the contemporaries, you know, I mean, even your Michael Jackson's, again, name recognition, but having listened to him from, you know, him being a small kid and me being a small kid and watching the progression of the Jackson 5 to where Michael was, you know, at the peak of his career, mm -hmm. Uh, again, it's not about name recognition as much as it is the nostalgia of growing up listening to that music and watching the progression and the evolution of not only the group, but he himself. Uh, and you're talking spanning Decades. 30, 40. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, Prince, you know, when you're talking about musical brilliance, uh, this, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves in terms of the writing, movie producing. Uh, he played all of his instruments, uh, the lyrics, the whole nine. You know, finding and 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 show uh, showcasing other talent. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I think about him. You know, don't be like me. Be better than me. If I can bring you to the stage, you know, do your thing and, and become the best at it. Yeah. You know, uh, again. Like I say, a lot of these are, you know, everybody knows Prince, so to speak, but again, going deeper and knowing about the people and, and why they did what they did and how they became successful at it, you know, brings a deeper meaning to who they are. Excellent, excellent.
you are in Hawaii at the moment, and I've heard that Elvis is still very popular there. Um, is there someone else aside from Elvis who, when you go to Hawaii, like you know you're gonna listen, you're gonna hear them? From a musical standpoint? Yeah. Ooh. Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars, okay. And it's right. funny that those two come up in the same sentence because he got his start by impersonating Elvis as a kid. <laughs> uh, his father was, he was from a musical family. And I think one of their acts was an Elvis act. And when he was a kid, I want to say eight or nine years old, he impersonated Elvis. Uh, and is now, as you well know, is on the world scene, you know, straight out of Hawaii. Awesome. Awesome. I know this is the first of many conversations. <laughs> um, I know we're going to have other conversations that um, because there is just so much um, to talk about when it comes to to uh, experiences and knowledge and just the gift of, of giving and being a teacher and a mentor. So I want to take this moment to just say thank you for this first of many conversations. And I'm sure the community of folks who are, are listening to this are going to appreciate it as well. No, I want to thank you for the opportunity. Uh, like I was saying earlier, you go day in and day out just doing and helping others. You know, it's kind of like the pastor on Sundays, you know, at the end of church, he stands at the door and, you know, have a great day and have a great week. And, you know, how's your mom? And, you know, how did the trip go? And, you know, you're, you're making sure you're your flock is being taken care of, but very seldom will the flock say, well, pastor, how are you? How are <laughs> you doing? You know? Yeah. Uh, so to have a person uh, such as yourself, a stellar educator, uh, upstanding gentleman in your own right to, to reach out and, and uh, have these conversations, uh, first of all, allows me to reflect, you know, on certain things that I may not have thought about in the, the, the rat race, as they say, of every day. Uh, but I appreciate that opportunity to be able to reflect and talk about things and, and hopefully help someone who may be listening. Most definitely, most definitely. It is still a practice um, or still something that I'm learning as well of. Um, to not just give those flowers, but then in return, receive them and accept them. Yep. Um, so thank you very much. And to anyone who's listening, um, yeah, <laughs> do the same. I'm sure there are other individuals, not just the kiddos. The kiddos may say thank you. This haven't been um, uh, a great 2022 Teacher Appreciation Week, but um, mm -hmm. there are adults as well who are going to thank you. Um, and to yes. accept that, to reflect on that, um, yeah, is, is something that is something uh, I'm still getting a, a handle on even after all these many years. So uh, to you, sir, thank you very much as well. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, this is this has been great. This is just, I'm sure, like I said, just one of many. But uh, to anyone who's listening to this, thank you very much for listening to the Chronicles of Mr. I am Mr. Pierre. He is Dr. Harris. And this has been another great episode and we'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.